Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Molly Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. When I was a teenager, I had my own Christmas tradition. Um, one of my favorite things to do was to, after we opened gifts and we had that, that, uh, you know, brief moment of calm, um, my sister and I would sneak away. And we would find the phone and we would call our besties and we would call our friends and the conversation would go like this, like, Merry Christmas. What did you get? What did you get? And then we would just go through like, well, uh, you know, those surprises and the things that were wrapped in those boxes, those beautiful boxes, you know, like, did you get the Cabbage Patch doll? Like, that was such a thing when I was a teenager. The Cabbage Patch doll, you know, what about the Patrick Swayze poster? I got my own phone, which was like the pinnacle for a teenage girl. Best Christmas gift ever. And we would just share in each other's excitement of what was in all of those packages. And that was just part of the fun, was just, I'll tell you, and you tell me, and I'll celebrate with you, and you celebrate with me. But I just wanted to share, what did you get? I want to know, what did you get? And I wanted to share with you what I got, what I was going to be organizing and adding to my closet or my backpack later that day. Well, this Christmas season... We are discovering the fullness of the gift that we were given 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. And what we're going to do is we are um, discovering the vastness of this gift that we were given through the words of Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah uh, spoke these words 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and he told us what we were going to be given He told us who was coming. He told the world who was coming to us, a world that lay in darkness. He prophesied about the light that was to come into a world that was full of despair and trouble. He talked about the hope and the help that was on its way, even though it was still 700 long years in the future. But he gave us these words. For to us, a child is born To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this Christmas, let's just answer this question, what did you get? What did you get? What was given for us, for us today? These words were meaningful for us here in our lives today. So what does this gift really mean to me? Like, Why is this important? What does it mean for my everyday life? What do I get to incorporate, to open, and to put into use into my everyday life? Just like we don't leave any of those gifts under the tree by the afternoon of like, you know, the 26th, right? We open them. We put them into use in our lives. I want that for us today, that we want to look into what exactly did we get. And so I want to focus today on the, um, the one of those names, Everlasting Father. Last week, Kevin opened this all up with the first, with first two, and I'm going to dig into Everlasting Father. And what we know is that God gave us a Savior who would be known to us as Everlasting Father. He gave the world he created, the world that turned its back on him, a gift that they needed, that we needed, an everlasting father. And so before we dig in, 
I want to take just a second and clarify this verse because I had an aha moment as I was studying this verse. This is a familiar verse, right? We've, how many of you have heard this verse before? These words, whether it was from your Bible or Charlie Brown, right? We know, we know these words, but I have this moment where I have been in the church a really long time. And every time I have heard this sermon preached, they, the person is always talking about Father God. And they start talking about who Father God is to us. But as I was looking at this scripture, I had this aha moment because this scripture is not saying that Jesus is Father God, right? Like there is a Trinity. There are three distinct persons within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this verse is about Jesus, the child who is given, the Savior who is coming. It's about his son, Jesus. And so it took me a second to step back and go, okay, this is actually telling us who Jesus is, um, will be for us who Jesus will be for us, how he is sent to us, what is given to us. And so this scripture is actually all about how Jesus, how we relate to Jesus, who he is, his nature, his characteristics, and then what we can expect, how we can expect to relate to him as everlasting father. Does that make sense? This is about Jesus, right? Jesus. So Isaiah is telling us, He's telling us way ahead of time who Jesus will be for us in our everyday lives today, what we can expect throughout time from everlasting before time began into our day and then into eternity, that Jesus will be to us an everlasting father, which means that we get to relate to Jesus as children relate to a father. If that's what his nature is like, his characteristics is like, that we get to be fathered by him as children would be fathered by a, a, by a dad, right? That's the quality of our relationship. So how do children naturally interact with their father? When Anna was young, um, just a little toddler, like two or three, Kevin taught her this little trick. And this was in our, our house, um, and we lived in Elgin before we moved here to plant the church. And we walked, you walk into our house and we had a really tall staircase that went straight up. And Kevin would be carrying little toddler Anna around the house. And he would do this thing with her where he'd put her on like the second or third stair on the staircase, staircase. And he would say like, okay, Anna, jump, right? Like, come on, jump. And, uh, as she grew up, they continued to do this and she got a bit bolder. And she just, this was just the routine. So she would start going up higher, you know, third stair, fourth stair. And then it developed into this little thing where she would just perch herself on that fourth stair and she'd be like all coiled up. And Kevin would just be minding his business. And Anna's just on the stairs, right? And Kevin is walking from the living room to the dining room. And he'd be just walking, doing his thing. And out of the corner of his eye, he would just catch a glimpse of Anna flying through the air towards him. Like, you know, without any sort of like, you know, like setup or anything. And like, thankfully, he had quick reflexes. And he finally was like, Anna, you have to warn me that you're jumping towards me, right? Like she just knew if I jump, dad will catch me. He'll be there to catch me. Why? Because children naturally trust their fathers. There's just something built into that dynamic where they naturally trust their fathers. So Jesus, as everlasting father, expects and invites and even commands us into this relationship to relate to him as children in this life, to live a life of trust. 
to live a life of trust. He's talking to his followers in John 14, 1, and he says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. That's what he's saying. Trust also in me. And so what I want to do today is just drill down into what is it like to live a life of trust? This gift of a life of trust that we're invited to trust, like in what specifically? Like how do we live a life of trust with Jesus as everlasting father? So I want us to look at three specific ways that we can trust in Jesus. So we can, and we, we, as we should and could live in this life, the fullness of it as a life of trust. Okay, so how can we trust Jesus? Well, I want to share this story from a great book. It's called Trusting Jesus by Brendan Manning, who's one of my all-time favorite authors. And this is what he writes. He tells the story of a missionary family home on furlough, staying at the lake house of a friend. On the day in question, dad was puttering around in the boathouse, mom in the kitchen, and the three children, ages four, seven, and 12, were on the lawn. Four-year-old Billy escaped his oldest sister's watchful eye and wandered down to the wooden dock. The shiny aluminum boat caught his eye, but unsteady feet landed him in eight-foot deep water. When the 12-year-old screamed, dad came running out. Realizing what happened, he dove into the murky depths. Frantically, he felt for his son, but twice, out of breath, he had to return to the surface. Filling up lungs once more, he dove down and found Billy clinging to a wooden pier several feet under. Prying the boy's fingers loose, he bolted to the surface with Billy in his arms. Safely ashore, his father asked, Billy, what were you doing down there? The little one replied, just waiting on you, Dad. Just waiting on you. So here is Billy out of his depths underneath the water, and he finds a wooden pier, and he's holding onto it, and he didn't know how, but he knew this. He just knew that his dad would come through. He just knew that his dad would be reliably good. Just waiting on you, Dad. You came through before, and you're going to come through somehow again, right? This is what children do. They trust that dad will be good to them. If Jesus is called everlasting father, I can trust in the goodness of Jesus. I can trust in the goodness of Jesus. In scripture, Jesus tells us over and over again that he will be good, that he will come through. Check it out in some of these scriptures. Look for this theme of Jesus coming through. He says this in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, you will have heartache, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Or John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for, I, and I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back. Or Revelation 19, 12. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus, he, as he went, he just proclaimed his goodness, but then he expected his followers to trust in his ultimate goodness. Like this was the essence, guys. This was the essence of trust with his disciples in the New Testament to believe that Jesus would be reliably good. 
I just love this concept of Jesus being reliably good. Like, I want us to get that phrase just like hooked in our hearts. Reliably good. Jesus, you are reliably good. So he would say stuff like this, like, I know you fished all night and you are professional fishermen. You know what you're doing. I know, I know. But listen, I know you caught nothing. I want you to go out again. And I want you to do the same thing. And I just want you to put your nets in again, right? He would tell them that. Or he would tell them, like, I know you don't feel ready or qualified yet. But listen, I'm sending you out. Go out and preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. I know there isn't enough food for this crowd. I get it. I know this looks really small. But here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pass it out. What I put in your hands, just pass it out, right? Or he would say, Peter, I know the water seems very unstable. I get it but go ahead and walk on it, Peter. I know you want the safety of your family and your paycheck and your steady nine to five job, but listen, leave it all and follow me. Where Jesus went over and over and over again, what he asked of anyone near him, trust in me. I will be reliably good. Just jump. I will catch you every time. Go ahead and jump. Are we willing to trust like that? Are we willing in the darkness to to just hang on to the goodness of Jesus that will catch us every time? Are we willing in our unanswerable questions, in the mystery, in the, you know, we, we know that we see dimly. It's like partially, partially lit right here, isn't it? When the explanation is just weak, when we can't put it all together, when we're not satisfied with the outcome we see right now, this is the time where we just trust that Jesus will be reliably good, reliably good, that we can turn to the one who promised, I will not leave you. I will not fail you. I have overcome the world. It is a promise for us. I am coming back to get you, and my reward is with me. Can we trust in that one? So here's our little bit of application around trust. Can you open your hands and offer Jesus, just as an, as an act of trust right now, what is it that you can just open your hands before him with? This one who is everlasting father, because he's reliably good. Or maybe this is another way to think of it. Where do you need to apply this phrase? Just waiting on you, dad. I'm just waiting on you. Like I can think of five things like really quickly where I can just, okay, just need to put that. I'm just waiting on you, dad. You have, I don't know how, but you've come through before and you will come through again. Where in your life, where do you just, you know, again, just need to say, here it is, God. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a relationship that is just troubling you right now. Um, maybe it's a, a promise that you have tried, you've thought like seven different ways this thing is going to happen, like seven different ways, and it still hasn't been fulfilled. And maybe it's an uncomfortable job or, you know, you're in between things, you're in transition, just waiting on you, dad, just waiting on you. Because if Jesus is called everlasting father, you can trust that Jesus is good, okay? If he's called to everlasting father, you can trust that Jesus is good. Second, if Jesus is called everlasting father, well, you can trust in the provision of Jesus. You can trust in the provision of Jesus. So every year around February, we have a chance to fill out some paperwork, right? To do our tax return. And they always ask you to this one question, check this box. How many dependents do you have? 
How many dependents? And what that question really is, is how many children are relying on you right now, right, in your life? Why? Because children are called dependents because... They can't afford their own health insurance and car insurance and education and braces and sports gear, right? They don't have the wisdom to know how to both um, do school and study and work and plan for their future and pay all the bills. They're dependents. They're dependents. They don't have the strength yet. They don't have the brain development yet or the emotional capacity to live adult life. So Jesus, as an everlasting father, invites us to trust in his provision, just like our kids uh, trust in ours, right? Like my kids have never come to me and been like, mom, what's happening for dinner tonight? Like, should we put in a grocery order and have some groceries delivered by like 4.30 so it's here? Um, And should we check the jewel just for you Coupons, clip a few coupons so we can stay within our budget this week with our groceries. Like, never. They just show up for dinner and expect that something good's going to be on the table, right? Like, that's how kids live. And in the same way, Jesus expects us to trust in his abundant provision for us. This is what he says. This is actually what Paul writes about Jesus. He says this, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. There's a provision of the strength of Jesus that can get, Paul knew, I can get through anything this world without me because there is a provision of strength from Jesus. Or he goes on to say, My grace, this is what God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a provision of grace that can cover any weakness. Again, the power of Jesus that can rest on on us or the fact that Jesus, in Jesus, that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. His power will come. His strength will come. His wisdom will come. His grace will come. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is ours through Jesus. So every once in a while, um, my daughter's room growing up would get out of control messy. Like she would be sick for a week or she'd have some like late practices for the play or something going on at school. She's away for a weekend and we, we would come home and her room would be just overwhelmingly messy, like piles, piles, like picture after the family reunion and um, you put your garbage bags by the curb um, too early in the night and you come out the next day and the raccoons have gotten to the fried chicken that was buried, right? Like everywhere, picture raccoons, garbage bags. Okay. That's the picture, like tornado zone, right? And, and then when she had like this overwhelming mess, it would be so much for her that she would get paralyzed in the mess. Do we know this feeling? Like, I don't even know where to start. I can't even find a a starting point in all of this mess. And she would be so overwhelmed by it all. And when I would see that room, you know what I would think? I can do something about this. Like, this is my opportunity to shine, you know? Like, I can help. I got this. Like, I know how to do this. Where she struggles, I feel confident. Where she's overwhelmed, 
I'm like, I got this. I can help. I can do this. I, super, my superpower is organization. Like, please, I just want to be invited in, right? Like, let me help. I can do this. I can do it. Where she couldn't, I could, and I wanted to be involved. I was like, we got this, sister, right? This is a picture of the provision of Jesus, his wisdom, his strength, his grace, his mercy, his creativity, his answers, the, the help, the support. He stands outside our messy rooms and he says, I can do this. I can do this. And in fact, I want to be a part of this with you. I see it from a different perspective and I know where we can start and I know where that can go. And I have this brilliant plan over all of this. I got this. I got this. I got enough to cover every bit of this. So let me ask you this. Where is your messy room right now in your life? Where is that? I don't even know where to start feeling like this just seems like too much right now where we have the picture of that situation, I also want to ask you, are you hoping someone else will provide instead? Instead of Jesus, are you looking for another source? Maybe you are that other source. Or maybe you just think if this person would just do better, right? If that person, they're the problem here. If they would just figure it out, or I want comfort from that boyfriend, that girlfriend. I want provision from my paycheck. That's what I really want. I want honor that comes from my success, from being the best at something. I want the lift that I can just get from everyone agreeing with me and feeling good about me in this situation. Where Jesus waits outside the room, guys, and he is just saying over, I have it covered. I have it covered. So here's what I'm asking. Can we... Invite Jesus in this morning. Can we invite him into that? We don't have to get it more presentable first. We don't have to like kind of get things kind of the mess organized first. He wants to provide and he loves it when we trust his provision. That's the gift he's offering you today. So if Jesus is everlasting father, you can trust in the provision of Jesus. Okay. All right. One more, one more. If Jesus is called everlasting father, you can trust in the love of Jesus. Kevin describes the first time he saw um, our, our first child, and he, he described it like this combination of fear and overwhelming love, overwhelming love. And he was like, I cannot believe that this child is mine. He said that there was this new chamber in his heart that he felt like just opened up, that he didn't know was there, that he even had capacity to love like that, that he experienced a love that he had never felt before for anyone, for anyone. And it he described it, he said it was scary how powerful it was. It's like so, so, so powerful. So fathers, fathers love their children, and this is the key word, before. Before. Before they can prove worthiness, before they can do anything to earn, deserve, do anything great. It is an unreasonable love, the way fathers love their kids. Paul writes this about the before love. I want you to zero in on the before. He says this, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, this is through Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He chose us in Jesus. Everything we have access to is through Jesus. That he, he chose us before the foundation of the world that would be holy and blameless. And then in Jesus, he's like, I've decided ahead of time that the way I love you is like a son. I'm bringing you in as my son, as my daughter. And then Paul writes this. This is going to be another amazing anchoring cornerstone verse for us. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you through, I'm sorry, empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You can trust in the love of Jesus. And I love how Paul writes this. Do you see this? He's like, even though it's too great to understand, it is. I'm just telling you right now, ahead of time, you can't, you won't. But then he goes on to say, but you should, (laughs) right? He says this, all God's people should know how wide, how long, how high and deep. But he's basically telling us, go ahead, try, try, try. But human mind will not be able to understand it. We will not make sense of it. It's too great. It's too great to understand the dimensions of it. But here is the key here. I I, I feel like this is where we have to actually just anchor ourselves is that you don't make yourself lovable. Jesus's love makes you lovable. Jesus' love makes you lovable. And getting this right is so important because if we don't trust before love, we will spend our entire lives trying to make ourselves lovable, won't we? We will be looking for someone in something over and over again to, to validate our worth, to validate our loveliness. We will over and over and over again to provide evidence, like just provide me evidence that I am worthy of love. Please, someone, something out there. But it means our loveliness, our, our preciousness, our affection is given through Jesus and it is not determined by bosses, coworkers, friends, friend groups, status. It's not determined by uh, records, evaluations, performances, good feedback, none of that, nothing else, nothing else holds the power to convince me of God's love for me in Jesus. It was decided before, already established before, wasn't it? So here's one human who lived trusting the love of Jesus like this. It's Paul. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword like, those were real things for him. Like, don't you read that listener? Like, yeah, my poor little life here where, you know, there's just, I'm out of creamer, you know? He's like, famine, nakedness. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
everything he experienced in life, from famine to hardship to sword, all of it, every hardship, it just solidified his conviction. It was like fuel on the fire of his conviction. Like, nope, not even this can separate me from the love of Jesus. It is entirely trustworthy. It was entirely trustworthy to Paul that across all of his journey, everything that he came across, every hiccup, every mountain, every barrier, he just embraced the truth. My own loveliness, it has already been given by Jesus. And it's here again, right? It's unconquerable in my life. So how would your life be different if you trusted in the love of Jesus, the dimensions of the love that you have in Jesus? What would it be like? How would your life feel different if, if the burden to be lovable was no longer on you? No longer on you. How would it feel if you didn't have to just for one minute longer prove to anyone, to anything, you didn't need any more evidence that you were entirely loved, freely given in Jesus, that no one has to convince you, nothing has to convince you. You're already convinced that nothing on this earth, no situation, no disaster that may be ahead, nothing that is behind, nothing can separate you from the love. It would just be this, oh, can you match the freedom of living in just the peace with who you are and peace with who you aren't and peace with what's to come? Oh, it would be such a valuable, valuable experiment, I think, peace with who we are. Because Jesus is everlasting Father, I can trust his love. I can trust his love. So for this one, I just wanted to give you a prayer to meditate on. Um, There's this type of prayer called breath prayer. Has anyone heard of something called breath prayer? What I love about it is we already are breathing. So we're already breathing. So it's, it's tying into like this basic human function with prayer. And I also love that the Holy Spirit is called breath of life, breath of life. So it's focusing on adding a prayer to our breathing, which everyone, I'm not like in, I know some people are really into like breathing and I know it's a really good thing. It's not necessarily my passion right now, like focusing on my breath, but I get it. So I'm going to give you a prayer and this is a breath prayer and you might want to just take a picture of it. But what you do is you pray, you take this like deep breath in and deep breath out and you pray part of it in and part of it out. And so the prayer is this, Jesus, I trust in your love. So that would be like, as you, as you take a deep breath in, Jesus, I trust in your love without reasons, without limits. Jesus, I trust in your love without reason, without limits. And you kind of say it to yourself. And my favorite time to do this type of prayer is in the middle of the night when I am like, you know, going through it, anxiety or whatever. Jesus, I trust in your love without reasons, without limits. Okay, so can we try it? We're going to just get quiet for a second. We're going to make a second, a pause. And then you just are going to breathe in one part, breathe out the other. I'm not going to lead you in it because I can't pray and breathe and talk. Okay. Jesus, I trust in your love without reasons, without limits. So what if, guys, what if we could just simplify life and we could just nail it all down to this one thing? What if our life is just simply all about claiming this gift of Jesus that we've been given? Jesus given to us as everlasting father. So all of our life is just learning to trust Jesus, 
good or bad, you know, we like it or we don't like it. It's just another opportunity to live out the truth that Jesus is completely trustworthy as everlasting father. Where people may disappoint me and they may not stick around, but I can trust, I can trust in the goodness of Jesus. My job may end, my muscles may weaken, but I can trust in the provision of Jesus. The girlfriend might walk out, the spotlight might fade, but I can trust in the love of Jesus. Just through the ups and downs and the, the failures, the victories, the disappointments, the good things, all of it on earth, it's just a, it's an opportunity to redirect our trust away from those things that were never meant to hold us, never meant to earn our security, and to turn them again to the trustworthiness of Jesus. Time after time to claim the spiritual truth across our lives of what Isaiah spoke about the birth of Jesus unto me. Unto me, the Savior is born. He is called in my life, Everlasting Father. Okay, why don't we stand up and just pray together over these things. And Michi's going to come up and help me with some ministry today. So we like to sometimes just get in this posture of receiving where we just put our hands open and just welcome the glorious presence of the Holy Spirit to minister to us and solidify things in our hearts. And Jesus, this is just all along the way here. We've just been offering you things and looking at things from your perspective. And so we just I just do welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and drill down, drill down into our spirits the truth that Jesus is reliably good. He will always come through. He will always come through. That Jesus is ultimate provider. He wants to. He wants to, he wants to give. He wants to help. And just this unreasonable love that's ours, that we just, man, we want to claim it. We want to be convinced, convinced of it through it all. Further, further conviction of the dimensions of the love of Jesus.